Y'all know I can do this all day. Just trying to open the word and listen to what Paul say. Back in the days, there was a movie called Boomerang that starred Eddie Murphy, and there was a woman in there named Strange. September and I'm up here acting so it's kind of like a fall play. <laughs> Last week was my first Sunday back in six weeks and I came in like prime Mike Tyson knocking them out in 91 seconds. I remember we used to debate if we were going to buy the pay-per-view because it would be like $40, $50 but you might get 90 seconds of a fight. And that's often what happened. And we would debate over who's going to pay $50 to see less than two minutes of boxing. We didn't have social media back then. So you couldn't find the clips online. There wasn't no online. There was, a, there was no line. So last week I came in like Tyson this week. It's Muhammad Ali. It's rope dope we're going to back up a little bit, take our time. I want to make sure everybody understands what this new series is and really why we're doing it. I said some things last week, but I was just, I was fired up. I was rusty. I was excited. Today, I want to approach it differently. Last week, I ended this sermon with a question, what does persecution look like? And I said that we would talk about that today. But I'm going to push that to next week so that we can focus on what the goal of this series is and talk more about one of the most important dichotomies in the Bible that we must believe until we leave. There are certain dichotomies that we must believe until we leave. And by leave, I mean when you die, when you leave this place, leave earth. I mentioned last week that the supernatural storyline of the Bible, which was a series we did last year up until July, it was essentially what we must believe about spiritual warfare. I thought then and still think now that Many people presume on spiritual warfare and jump right into the practicals, what we should do, how we should fight. And they overlook how significant the Bible describes God's relationship with the cosmic sons of God, divine beings that he created, angels and so forth. That's a huge storyline in the Bible that often gets overlooked. There are a lot of misconceptions about who demons are and what role they play. And so it was important to step back and try our best to, to look at what the Bible has to say about this idea of spiritual warfare and develop a supernatural storyline similar to what the Israelites had when they heard the letters from people who wrote them. We learned that it was much deeper than we thought. Prior to that series, our churches always had teachings on obeying God. In fact, you cannot come to Solid Rock Church and at, at least 
not be challenged to live in a way that honors the Lord. You may not like what it was said. It may not be the style that you're used to. It may be there's a better church for you, but you cannot come to this church and not hear from this pulpit on a Sunday challenges to help us honor the Lord. So that is not a new reality. We've always taught about obeying God. But I believe that because you hear these things so much, there's an over-familiarity with the idea of obedience. And I think just like the spiritual warfare, we presume a lot about it. We reduce obedience to just do's and don'ts. Or as you heard last week, being a better good person than other people. We know, we get it, we've heard this. But I truly believe that there is a disconnect in the lives of the majority of Christians in America because we've heard this so many times. You've heard this stuff so many times. So we're always looking for something new. But we forget to ask, hey, am I living in light of what I know is already true? I mean, if you keep getting new things and hearing new things and being excited about new things, how do you measure if you're believing those things at all? I think we downplay or are just unaware of the particular schemes of the devil. Do you realize that each and every one of us has both a broad, we need to broadly understand what's happening, and then specific? Do you know that you, if you are a professing believer in this room, do you know that the devil is after you? In particular, he's not after the people that don't believe because according to the Bible, he already has them. Do you realize that he's after you? He's after you if you are a professing believer. And if you're, and that's just professing, if you're even remotely trying to obey God. Because not everyone who professes is actually doing something, right? I know I've been like that in my life. If you're even remotely trying to obey God, there is spiritual opposition to you. But do you know how it's playing out, though? Do you know what the good fight is for you? We know broadly, broadly, there's a, all Christians. We persevere to the end. We know it. But do you know how Satan is specifically coming after you? Do you know yourself enough and know the enemy enough to know, oh, wow, this is the enemy. This thought is not of the Lord. I think a lot of Christians just don't. We reduce our obedience to emotion and activity. Do you know how Satan is trying to sift you like wheat? Do you know about the three D's? Do you know his strategy? Do you know that he wants you to either distrust, disobey, or dismiss the Lord? 
Any of those three that he can get you to do, mission accomplished. Distrust, disobey, or dismiss the Lord. And many of us fall into it easily. You come to church, you don't like what's said, you start coming up with, well, it's not, I don't do that, or it's not always this, or it's not always that. And you start making excuses in your head, and then whatever the spirit is trying to help you see, you've already said, no, I don't even like what's being said. It doesn't feel right to me. As if Proverbs doesn't say things like, the ways of a man seem right to him. But his end is only destruction. Like when do our feelings stop being the authority for what is true? Does everything have to be said with kid gloves and with so much qualification? We need to understand the strategies of the enemy or he's going to get us. And many of us, not even intentionally, many of us just aren't as hip as we think to him in the specifics. Let me tell you why it's important to understand this. In 2 Corinthians 2, this won't be new. I brought this up in the Supernatural Storyline of the Bible series, the last series that we did. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he makes a, a, a crazy statement about Satan and what he's trying to do. Listen to what he says here, beginning in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, until verse 11. Here's what he says. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has not caused it to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. So he's referring to what we would call 1 Corinthians, where there was a guy who was sinning grievously in the church. The church didn't do anything about it, and he told them, you need to repent and rebuke this guy, put him out of the church. But now Paul is hearing that, okay, these people are not even trying to let him back in, and here's what he's saying. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, like he's been punished enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. In other words, look, okay, he's been punished. Let him bring him back in. Otherwise, he'll be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Listen to what Paul is saying. If you do not forgive someone who sins seriously, you are being outwitted by Satan. In other words, unforgiveness, which is synonymous with bitterness, if you do that, then you have fallen victim to Satan's designs. I know people who profess to believe who do not enjoy forgiving and act like you're doing the person a favor by forgiving them instead of obeying and imitating God. 
We are not doing anyone a favor by obeying God. We're doing ourselves a favor. But I see this happen all the time. Unforgiveness is a serious big deal. Paul says it's a scheme of the devil. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. After he taught them how to pray, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. How should we pray? Jesus taught him, and here's what he said in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 14. Two verses. After he taught him how to pray, he said this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. You know, I hear all these conversations online about theologians, once saved, always saved, and all these different conversations. Are you saved or not? Are you, once you saved, are you always saved? And they get into all these theological discussions. Fam, I would love to hear someone say, let's talk about forgiving or unforgiving. Because if you are saved, but you are an unforgiving Christian, then Jesus said you will be an unforgiving Christian. Once saved, always saved, so what? Love or not love? Forgive or not forgive? Forgiveness is at the very essence of the gospel message. None of us would have a relationship with God if he didn't forgive us. And sometimes, not all of us, but sometimes, and even I can do this too, sometimes we approach coming to church and doing things for God like we're doing him a favor. Who are you, fam? Who am I? God is not impressed with me or you. Forgiving others is one of the most important ways we imitate them. So it makes sense that if we're unwilling to forgive people, we're falling victim to Satan. Is that a scheme of the devil for you? Is that a struggle for you? Is bitterness a struggle for you? If forgiving people who, who hurt you, don't get me wrong. Listen, there's nothing about the Christian life that's really easy. I think the easiest thing about the Christian life is believing in Jesus. And who doesn't? Oh, my sins are forgiven. I won't go and burn in hell. Sign me up. Sign me up. So if I don't forgive when I die, burn in hell. If I do, oh, sign me up. I'm good. That's the easiest thing to believe. But then it's, oh, you got to do this. You got to believe this. And you got to believe this. And if you do believe, it's got to look like this. Oh, wait, 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 I got to forgive people who hurt me? I got to love people who gossip and slander about me? I got to love people who've wronged me financially? Hold on. Let me think about this for a second. See, we have to be careful that we don't want the benefits of being a Christian but not the responsibilities. And this is what's happened in American Christianity. We want the benefits of being a believer, but not the responsibilities. So this series is not the supernatural storyline, but we will refer to it at times because this is the supernatural lifeline. What must you believe until you leave is what this series is about. We'll start broadly and then get specific so that each of us have a better understanding of what the schemes of the devil are on us. 
I have no intention of staying super broad. It will get specific so that you know, hmm, okay, I know what that is now. For a long time, I didn't see this was a scheme of the devil for me. But if I had, like, issues with a particular person, whoever it was, could be a member, could be my wife, it could be my whoever, my mom, whatever it was, I would argue in my head, imagine conversations and things I would say back if they say this. I would anticipate conversations. There were times I would anticipate conversations about my mom or my wife or someone, and then when something happened, I would jump right to it. Or sometimes I would judge that this is what's happening and I was wrong. And then after years, one day I just realized, this is the devil. Why am I always having these argumentative conversations in my head? I'm anticipating conflict, so I'm ready for it. I'm thinking I'm preparing myself to be humble, and I'm preparing myself for action. I'm John Wick coming in like, you killed my dog. I'm hitting everybody. The whole room is getting hit. And it's like, uh, this is your mom. It's your wife. That's a member of the church. It's someone online. Took me a while to realize, wow. So now when that starts to happen, I say, no, 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 no. I know what this is. Don't even try it. Not today, Satan. I get it. On a broad level, Satan's greatest scheme or strategy against you, against Christians in America, is destruction by distraction. Distraction is the rope-a-dope of Satan's schemes, and this will be clearer over the next four sermons. It's distraction. We are so distracted. We're so busy. And when we think about are we doing things for eternity, we're actually busy doing nothing. So busy. We're so anxious and overwhelmed at all we have to do. And we get up and we think about everything that's happening. We need like some biblical heliocentricity. Where heliocentricity from a scientific perspective is the sun is in the center and the earth and everything revolves around the sun. We put ourselves in the center and God and work and fellowship and friends and, and, and desires and all these things. And we're trying to figure out how to balance. And so, listen, if I ain't got time to read or pray today, I'm sorry, I got to work. I got this meeting. I got this. I'm hanging out with these people. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. But we need biblical heliocentricity where we say, here's the sun in the middle, Jesus, and everything else revolves around that. And we all agree with that. But the devil deceives us into thinking that because we agree that we're doing it. I've fallen victim to the strategy plenty of times. He's a clever dude. He's more clever than you. He definitely isn't. So let me say what the goal of this series is. Last year in the sermon, the first sermon, I mentioned that the goal of the supernatural storyline of the Bible series was to create an endless fascination with God and his word. That was all I wanted, is people to love their Bibles more and love God more. And I saw that happen more and more as the series progressed. I was so excited to be and watch people just send me text messages or come up to me after church and talk about how they're just seeing new things in their Bible and stuff is just making sense that never made sense before. And I was watching people get excited 
about coming to church, about hearing God's word and finding new things. People, it was like, it was like, where's Waldo when it's on? People were sending me all types of, hey, look, I, look at this verse. Does this mean this? I was like, nah, fam, not everything. <laughs> not everything means something, you know what I'm saying? But it says, and Jesus looked up the tree, so is a tree? Uh, nah, that just means, it just means a tree, like a real tree. But I loved it, though, because people were hungry. People grew in their love for God. Well, this series also has an intended goal, and it's one that I'm eager to see the Lord do in our lives. And this goal is essentially two words. Three, if you're talking to yourself. And these two words, I believe the Lord gave me directly as I was driving around thinking about where we are as a church. What's next for us? I don't always, I'm not one of those people that think the Lord talks to me directly a lot. I don't feel like that. I don't ever claim that. I know a lot of people do, and I, I, I mean, okay. I mean, some of the people that claim it, lives don't seem like it. If the Lord is talking to you, then you should be living different. I wouldn't claim the Lord's talking to me unless I'm living right. The Lord talks to me every day. Then why are you angry at Dempster? The Lord is conveniently not telling you that. You ever had somebody tell you the Lord's convicted, was, was caring for them about your sin against them? I was like, man, but the Lord, he always tells me about my sin against people. I don't never really get comforted by people's sin against me. He's always telling me about what I didn't do right. I'm like, how is he telling you what I did to you and you not did? I'm always told, like, where I'm failing. I'm like, man, what? who's talking to who right now? But I believe these two words were from the Lord. And I'll tell you why. There's two reasons why I believe they're from the Lord. Here are the two words. I just heard this. I was driving in the car, random. I was just thinking, wasn't even really praying to the Lord. Just, and I just heard eternity first. Eternity first. And then I added a word. Put eternity first. And I thought, huh. Now, whenever the Lord, I think, reveals to me something like this, two things immediately happen. If these two things don't happen, I don't know if it's, I don't believe it's from the Lord. Here are two things that happen. When I did the supernatural storyline, when I was thinking, I had this thought, here are the two things that came. Here are two things that happen every time. This is how I gauge, for me, this is from the Lord. The first is when I hear eternity first. The first thing that happens is scriptures come to my mind to confirm that this is at least biblical. And the second thing that happens is examples come to my mind of myself or our church in ways that we need to do this. If those two things don't happen, I don't believe it from the Lord. I keep it moving. Eternity first. And I thought, huh. I mean, I know that. That's kind of like, duh. But then when I started to think about it and realize, wow, this is actually a deeper reality than I'm actually thinking about. I think I may be too familiar with the idea. And then the Lord just brought to my mind this great dichotomy in the Bible. It's not unfamiliar, it's over-familiar. And the dichotomy is earthly or eternity. And this dichotomy is why judgment will be strict. Because if we think we can live earthly, live for earth and not for eternity, you know, one of the schemes of the devil that has happened to me a lot, this may happen to you, 
is he makes me think that grace, God is so understanding that he's not, doesn't really care if I do certain things or not. Like grace is so amazing that God is so understanding that even my sins willfully, whatever they are, he's somehow like, look, man, I get it. You've had a tough week. The Lord isn't like that at all. He's going to be like, man, didn't you read Romans 6 where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more? The Lord is not that understanding that you can just do stuff, have attitudes, think things, and there'll be no consequences. Mm Earthly versus eternity. The New Testament screams at us to focus not on what's earthly, but on eternity. To focus not on this life, but the afterlife. And this is a great challenge to Christianity. It's tough. Because in all honesty, where we, we, we see, touch, smell, taste, hear, feel. I don't see, touch, smell, taste, hear, or feel the Lord like that. And the people that say they do, I'm skeptical. <laughs> It's a challenge because the Lord is asking me to, to live for a place I've never been in, a, in the only place I've ever known. And that's tough. So I'm not saying this isn't easy like we're just supposed to do this. No, this is tough stuff. But eternity first is not a suggestion. Case in point, Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. Here's how Jesus starts off the prayer. He alludes to this. Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. Here's Jesus, how he opens up the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus says, let me teach you how to pray. And when you start off praying, start with wanting heaven to be, earth to be on heaven. You want to see what's happening on the earth the same way it happens in heaven. You want to be thinking about eternity. Lord, I want your sovereignty, your power, your authority. I want all the things that are happening in heaven to happen on earth. I want your kingdom right now and where I live, what I see, to, be, to function the way I don't see it. Staying in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19 to 21, Jesus is very specific about earthly and eternity. He says this in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He makes a distinction. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Brothers and sisters, if we're honest because it's Sunday and at least be honest today, This is what many of us live for. We live for treasures on earth and we presume treasures in heaven. Many of us want our prayers to be what God does for us rather than God, what do you want from us? I'm guilty as charged. This is why sometimes, I I joked and said this last week, sometimes we'll say, man, God's not answering my prayer. I was like, no, no is an answer. (laughs) Listen, God told Jesus no, right? Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, take this cup from me. Not my will, but your will be done. He didn't take the cup because Jesus was crucified. God will always say no if it's not according to his plan and if it's not best for you. Because if he had answered Jesus' prayer, we would not have any hope. 
Sometimes God's no is beneficial to you, but if you only have the category of yes, then you're not realizing that our desires are not just what we want. It's like, Lord, do you want this for us? I tell people all the time that are in a relationship, all this stuff, I just say, look, God's will is not that you get married to each other. God's will is that you're going to see if you should get married to each other. When I, at the church I used to go to, there was this, there was this thing called courtship. And, and what you would do is you would, date, you would go to the girl's dad, ask her dad, can you date the daughter? The dad would go talk to his daughter to see if she wanted to, because sometimes it's awkward for a girl to be like, oh, no. I don't see you that way. So the dad was the buffer. So if his daughter was like, oh, dad, no, please, no. He might come back and be like, hey, bro, not this time, but maybe, you know, maybe get your fingernails clean, spruce up a little bit, you know. Might give you some advice, but the answer was no. There was a process. But when people did get in courtships, people would be congratulating them. I remember one time my buddy got into a courtship with a girl, and after church, people walked over, thanked them, brought her flowers and stuff. And I was like, hey, bro, what happened? I thought, are you, did you get engaged? He was like, nah, we're just dating. I was like, dad, y'all do that for dating in this church? I was scared half to death. When me and my wife dated, we didn't tell nobody. We was hiding from people. Shoot. Duck. We used to have this joke. We'd drive by the church and be like, get down. We didn't want nobody to know because everybody's congratulations. And then when the people broke up, wasn't nobody around to console. What you give people when they break up? Dead roses? Well, here you go. I mean, it was a, a half of eating box of chocolates. Like, here you go. I mean, I ate the half because you guys didn't make so I used to tell people, don't congratulate people when they date. Congratulate them when they make it official. Why are you congratulating people for dating? It didn't make sense to me. Because sometimes God answers no. And some of those people, the answer was no. You're not getting married. When you put eternity first, you want to know what God's will is. Not you want him to confirm how you feel. And there's a difference. And I failed in this. I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm not coming down the mountain with two stone tablets. I failed in this miserably. I'm teaching from my failure. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, listen to this, earthly versus eternity. Verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Here it is, eternity, earthly. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I could list plenty of other verses. This theme is pervasive in the Bible, but specifically the New Testament. Earthly versus eternity. The exhortations and admonishments are God, of, from God are stated to remind us to put eternity first. And if you include verses about like the world, about, be, you know, do not submit to the world, but present your bodies as a living, don't be conformed to the world, then you get this, the dichotomy is there. 
earthly versus eternity. You know, often in our culture, and maybe all over the world, but I'm speaking to my context, people often ask, what am I truly living for? That's a decent question. But if you are a professing believer, that's not the right question. The right question is, who am I living for? Because you can profess to believe and live for yourself. Let me, let me prove this. I said there were two things that happened to me. First, scriptures and then examples. If we're being honest, we, in large part, struggle to put eternity first. I've been a pastor here 15 years. I love this church dearly. I've been offered other positions even recently, and it's like, no way, bro. What are you talking about? Until they say they're tired of me, I'm not going nowhere. But if we're being honest, it's much easier to put our families first mm -hmm. before eternity. We have children, and we feel justified in not serving, being at church, doing anything, as if God gave you children to keep you from church. God gave you children to bring them to church. Do you know how many, when I was a Christian rap artist named Voice, this was a while ago, now it's Kirk Kennedy, y'all know what time. <laughs> I used to do all these concerts, travel. And I would always, they would always ask me to speak to the youth. Sure, I mean, you're paying me to be here, what do you want me to do? And I remember, I'd always ask this question. How many of you, your parents treated you like a Christian, like related to, or they just taught you about Christianity, and then people would be like, well, I don't, what do, you, what do you mean? And I'd say, like, when your parents sinned against you, did they ask you for forgiveness, even when you were, like, little? Or did they just, you know, you ever have your parents tell that you, stop being angry with your brother, and not realize, ah, I'm being angry, telling you not to be angry. Hand shot up. Do you know this happened in almost every place I went, and I went all over the country. My wife can attest to this. I went everywhere, all over the country, traveling. And I would see this all the time. And I remember thinking, you know what? I'm not trying to teach my kids about Christianity. I need to be a Christian to them. Absolutely. So I was asking them for forgiveness when I'd sinned before they could even understand what I was saying. Because I wanted them to know, hey, just because I'm your dad or just because I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean that I don't ask you for forgiveness when I sin against you. And if I got angry with their mom and they, and they heard it, I would ask them for forgiveness for doing that in front of them. I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want to put my family before eternity. And if you're a parent and you scold your kids, but you don't ask for forgiveness in the way that you scolded me, you are putting earthly in front of eternity. And you are teaching them to be a hypocrite. And then we wonder why these kids grow up in the church and they don't see, they don't want to come to church. Because sometimes as parents, we want our kids to obey God better than we do. We put our schedules before eternity. We put our pursuits of success before eternity. We put our struggles, our sufferings. We put our mental health, fill in the blank. We will find ways to justify 
Why? We'll even put inaccurate views of grace, like God understands that I'm struggling and I'm hurting and somehow he's releasing me from being in the church. Hey, we just had kids and so we need a couple of years before we can serve again. But then you bring your kids to children's ministry and want somebody else to serve them. I ain't trying to start no trouble. I'm just saying what the Lord told me to say. I don't want no enemies. I love this church. It's the only place I want to be. But I love this church enough to be like, hey, do you see this scheme of the devil in your life? Do you realize these things are just, that it's subtle? Do you realize that, oh, I couldn't get a ride, or I'm just tired, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't, that over time, all of a sudden, it will become too difficult to be able to do it. You will back yourself away from things so much because there's so many, you're so busy that eventually you don't even have a desire to do things. I've seen it happen. Now, these aren't bad things, family, schedules, pursuit of success. Struggle. They're not bad things. They're good things. But the Bible calls us to think differently about them because the Lord knows the enemy will use them. Let me, give you, let me prove this with family. Let me prove this. Matthew 10, beginning in verse 34 to 39. These are Jesus' words. I don't want any problems. These are Jesus' words. Don't explain them away. Just listen to what he said. I don't want no problems. I know I left last week. I got to stay here today. I don't want no problems. Where's Ricardo? Where's Ricardo? I got my police officers here today. I don't want no trouble. I saw Ricardo. I know he's strapped. I know I got a couple of buddies in here who got straps legally. Be careful when you talk to the Lord's anointed. Don't be mad at me. Matthew 10, 34, here's what Jesus said. He said, do not think I've come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Many of you can be like, yeah, the Lord, the Lord did that. <laughs> That's the easiest one to believe out of these verses, right? Oh, yeah, 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 my mother-in-law, man, I do. Yeah, my son and daughter-in-law. Yeah, yeah, the Lord is, that's from the Lord. <laughs> and the person's enemies will be those of his own household. Listen to this in verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There are three times in this passage that Jesus said, this is not worthy of me. These are his words. His words. Don't shoot the messenger. Three times. Verse 37. You're not worthy of me if you love father or mother more. You're not worthy of me if you love son or daughter more. You're not worthy of me if you don't take up your cross. If you're not willing to believe and obey Jesus. These are his words. Some of us love our families way more than we love God. And we think that God is pleased when we do everything for our children and don't do anything for his church. 
There's grace. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God's like, oh. I'm just saying we cultivate these habits and we don't realize this is what he said. One of the reasons why I'm grateful that you all allowed me to have a sabbatical, I didn't start doing one until 2017. I was here nine, nine years before I took a sabbatical. One of the reasons why I was grateful for that, though, is because it's a chance for me to spend time with my kids undistracted. We get to travel, we do stuff, because they release me so much throughout the year. There are many nights where I don't get to see my kids. I work on Saturdays and Sundays. Y'all can come to church if you want. I don't have that option. I can't just call Mike and be like, you know what, I ain't even in the mood today, man. I'm tired, it's been a long day. Uh, but you preaching, bruh? Oh, oh, that's, I don't have a choice. I keep meetings for the most, there are times things come up and you gotta move and shake and cancel meetings. But there are times I got a busy week. I might not be home but three nights a week. So I love that my kids get to see that, see me on the sabbatical. But they also get to see that like, look, I gotta serve the church too. I love them and I make sure that they're not neglected but I gotta serve the church. Jesus said, you're not worthy of me if you love your children more than me. You're not worthy of me if you love your spouse more than me. Many of us don't think like this. Our treasures are largely our children, spouses, and our pets. I know people that have died for their pet, but won't serve in the church. Would rather stay home and be with your pets than fellowship with people in the week. These are schemes. Families, success is another one. Listen to this in Mark 4, 16 through 20. Jesus said this. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word accepted, and they bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Here's what Jesus is saying. Some people are so driven by success that they're driving themselves off the cliff of Christ's righteousness. So driven by success. Listen to what he said. Verse 19, he said there are people who believe, who hear the word, who hear the gospel, may even believe in it. But then he said the cares of the world. It means they start worrying about the thing the world worries about. Now, listen, I, I pay attention to what happens in the culture. I hear stuff like China is threatening the U.S. The, the Fed just said that America is going to run out of money in 2023 despite the fact that we had two-point-something trillion dollars two years ago. I pay attention to all of that. I mean, by the grace of God, you all are generous enough to give to this church so that I can provide for my family. If that freezes up, I don't, I, I don't have any products I can sell. I mean, imagine me going door-to-door -door with something. Hey, 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 boom, boom, boom. As soon as they be like, nah, we ain't opening the door, man. I got to get a makeover to do that. Ain't nobody opening the door if I'm knocking at your door. No, 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 listen, this is a good product. I'm sure you'll love it. I'll be walking to my car, PG police, pulling up, Ricardo pulling up. 
What you doing, man? You in the neighborhood? Oh, no, nah, we got a call that, oh, it was you. Oh, man, we got a call that you were knocking on doors. Edgar coming after me on a horse. Crap, 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 crap. It's easy to worry about what the world worries about. But this is what Jesus is saying. The people who hear the word, it's choked out because they care about, they're worried about the things the world worries about. The second thing he said is the deceitfulness of riches. People who elevate financial success over eternal progress. People put career over community. I could be wrong because I'm wrong about many things. But I just do not believe that the Lord is excited when his people have to work so much that they can't be a part of the life of the church. I just don't think that. I'm not saying there aren't moments and situations where you got to do what you got to do, but many of you, many of us do them because we're trying to earn a couple of dollars, one more sale. We care for what's being sold in our own souls. You go to a church and you don't participate in it. You can say, well, I do other things, but that's not how the church is structured. You don't go to Walmart and tell them how to sell their products. You can't go to a church and be like, well, this is how I need to do it. Because, no, this is what, this is what we're saying. This is what we think honors the Lord. Sundays and one, one night a week. You work so much that you can't even give up a couple of hours one night a week to fellowship with other people. And then we wonder why we're not growing. You back up from the church. Now, all of a sudden, you can't grow. Deceitfulness of riches. We put career over community. That's stopping in 3.1. You can't be a member here if you can't be a part of the community. Unless there's a compelling reason. Everybody can give up, get off work by 6 o'clock on the day of your group and go spend time with other believers and get your soul cared for. We've let it go for a while because we wanted to be understanding, but now the walls are closing in. Jesus said, desires for other things. Broad, that's education. Mm -hmm. Status. A lot of college students here, glad you're here. But don't think for a moment that God cares more about you getting a 4.0 than he does about you reading chapter 4 of the Bible. Don't let that fool you. This career, all the things that you're working for, that wonderful degree that Sama cum laude or whatever you say that sounds like I'm saying hakuna matata every time I say that. <laughs> I always feel like I'm in a Disney flick, Sama cum laude, whatever that is. Get all of that. Do all of it. But in eternity, you will not be measured by did you get a 4.0. You won't be measured by that. I know it's important. And I'm not talking about either or. Jesus is talking about priorities. What do you prioritize more? It's possible to do both. 
but you'll get lost thinking that I just, it's all about school. One of the reasons why Drew said it's been hard to connect one you to the church because we prioritize school. Like, they don't got to be in a small group. They don't got to do this. They just go to school and just come on Sundays. And I think there's, there's wisdom in that, but some of that is like, are we helping you? Because in eternity, whatever degree you got is probably not going to be used. God does not need any more philosophers in eternity. All you philosophy majors, we're going to be speaking in many languages. Your English majors, thank you, but your political science major ain't going to happen in heaven. We don't need no lawyers. We got the lawyer. Jesus only, he just showed the tape. Just show the tape. Jesus don't even talk. He's just like, hey, show the tape. Just show the tape. All them creatures that got all them eyes on them, they record. Show the tape. Creature walk up. <laughs> Eye right here. Show the tape. Oh, I did. Oh, I did do that. Oh. Cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things. You know what he said? He said they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. It means you don't grow. And then people will complain about not growing, but is it all? But why aren't you growing, though? You choke the word. This is Jesus. This is, listen, where's Ricardo? Strap up. This isn't, this is, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This isn't about being busy. Listen, everybody's busy. Everybody's busy. It's not about being busy. Everyone's busy, but nobody's busier than God. It's about priorities. Let me prove this one more time for the people in the back. Luke 10, you guys know this well, 38 through 42. Remember, these are Jesus' words. Earthly eternity. Now, as they went on their way, beginning of verse 38, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, listen to the question she asked. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her. Listen to his answer. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You hear what Jesus said? The scripture says she's serving, but was distracted. She's doing all this stuff, and Jesus is there. And Mary's like, I'm sitting with him. And it's not, it wasn't wrong for her. They, you know, they, she, she, she welcomed him into her house. She wants to serve food. But Jesus didn't prioritize ancient Near Eastern customs of when you enter a house, you serve the person food, you put water on their feet. You, Jesus didn't care about that more than he did being with him. We have too many Marthas in this room. We need more Marys. We are distracted. 
by too many things, anxious. And then when someone says, spend time with the Lord, it's almost like, man, I don't, I don't got time for it. So you want to spend eternity with the person you don't have time for now. You're excited about spending forever with a person you can't give 50 minutes to. Maybe it's me, but. And I'm guilty of it. When I say stuff to y'all, it's largely because the Lord says it to me. Another Netflix show, fam? Another? You're going to binge watch another show? Why don't you binge the Bible tonight? That's not exciting to us. It's boring to us, which we're going to talk about later because the devil has made our eternal destination boring to us. But that's not today, though. We're not talking about that today. We need more Marys, not Marthas. And listen, we're doing these are good things. But they're not necessarily godly things. They're good things. Now, for those of you who are quietly saying, well, it's not sin to do that. I mean, it's not. You're right. But God has a verse for you. First Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So it's saying, yeah, it's not sinful. All things are there. It's not sinful to work hard in school and study and and to miss a group in your church, miss a meeting. It's not sinful. You can do it. It's lawful. But is it helpful? When he said helpful, he wasn't talking about now. He's talking about helpful towards eternity. It's not sinful, but how is it building you up, though? You're so busy that you don't have time for the Lord and then struggling with why you're not growing because you make decisions that don't prioritize eternity. They prioritize the earth. We expect the Lord to be good with that because what we're doing isn't necessarily sinful, but it's not building us up. And we make excuses and excuses and excuses for it. We get mad at the people that challenge us and remind us. The question is not, is it sinful? Not for the believer. It's not the question. Is it sinful? Most of the stuff you do is just not. It's not that sinful. Go play ultimate frisbee. Go have fun. Refresh. It's not about is it sinful. The question is, is it contributing to eternity? What do you do that contributes to eternity? I think as great as our church is, I love this church. I'm proud of this church. I've given 15 years of my life to this church and then some. When I travel and speak in other places, sometimes I don't talk about our church because the church that I'm at is not like our church. They don't got the conviction, the diversity. They don't have all this stuff. So I just answer questions about, oh, yeah, yeah, our church, yeah, we got things are going well at our church. They want specifics. I'm like, nah, because I don't want to tempt you. Because So our church has a lot of great things. I love it. But we are not so great that we can't be challenged. I don't want our church just to be great. I want it to be about grace. And by grace, I don't mean the 
the not putting pressure. You know what grace is in American Christianity? Not putting pressure on me. That's not what grace is. Grace does not lower the standard of holiness. It just forgives us for not keeping it. Grace isn't, no, don't put pressure, don't put more on me. You got people that they, they start getting affected and start crying, and it's like sometimes it's not conviction, it's confusion. You're overwhelmed. But everything can't be kid gloves. You know why? Because hell isn't. I don't think the strictness that we're going to be judged with, I don't think it's going to be like, hey, this feels fantastic about this joint. Hey, can we do this again, Lord, after you're done with all these people? Like, no. When I say, is it contributing to eternity, what I mean is, do you neglect eternal things to do earthly things? That's what I mean. You can't pray for 15 minutes, but you can gain for five hours. I do not think the Lord is like, well done. I can binge watch a show for hours sitting on the couch and I ain't prayed for 30 minutes. We're guilty of it. I don't wake up in the morning and be like, oh, Lord, I, I want to magnify you this morning. What can I do to please you? I get up and be like, let me check these notifications real quick on my phone. See what people said about this video I made yesterday. Well, I got eight notifications. Let me respond to these real quick. Then this happens and this happens and this happens. Like, oh, man, I got to get to work. I'll pray in the car. I get in the car. Let me listen to this beat real quick. I want to see if a, let me listen to my album real quick just to see where I was at. <laughs> we all do it. I'm just confessing that I do. It's a struggle for all of us, not some of us, to varying degrees. Do you neglect eternal things for earthly things? If you do, there will be consequences for it. And I don't even mean eternal ones. You just will not get to the place that you want to get to. And being a Christian and not growing is frustrating. Absolutely. It's kind of like depression where you can be alone in a crowded room. Mm -hmm. Being a Christian and not growing is kind of like depression. Like, I know I should be doing this, but I'm not. This isn't about making you feel guilty or if you're feeling overwhelmed. That's not, a, that's not, the, that's not the Bible's fault. That's not my fault. Part of it is we've just created a lifestyle that doesn't have room for God. And when we're reminded that we need to have room for God, we get overwhelmed at the thought of it. And then the problem becomes the person telling you about God rather than the way you've structured your life without him. And I've done this before, even as a pastor. It's easy. It's easier to do for God than to be with God. Every leader runs the risk of being a professional Christian. I have to make sure that I'm not a, I got to read the Bible and not be like, oh, I can't wait to teach this. If every time I read is something I'm going to teach the church, that doesn't honor the Lord. Because the Lord is like, uh, hello. Like, you need to live this. I'm judging you stricter, remember? Do you prioritize your child's sleep schedule over fellowship? Is it that important for your child to have an off night, one night a week, so that you can have fellowship? Do you prioritize a promotion over devotion? Awards 
versus eternal rewards. We all do it. I'm just crazy enough to admit I'm one of them. But I think I'm looking at a lot of them. Listen, brothers and sisters, we're not that mature. We're not that mature. We cannot give God a little bit and then expect a lot. We cannot, you cannot realistically think, I can't wait to be in eternity where there's no time, and then you're giving God on earth hardly any time. God doesn't let the consequences come like boom. Sometimes it just becomes little by little. You just lose a desire to memorize. You lose a desire to have fellowship. You lose a desire to come to church. You lose a desire to obey God. And then grace starts to become, hey, I understand. Don't worry about it. I forgive you, all this stuff. And the next thing you know, to the greatest extreme, those people walk away from the faith. Or we become satisfied with just not growing. And we think the problem is it's too hard. And the problem is we just don't care that much. We've lost the conviction to put eternity first. So this series will take things that we've learned from the supernatural storyline and make them part of the supernatural lifeline. Because when I stand before the Lord, I want to be able to say, I tried to do it and I tried to say it. And I'll let him tell me which was which. But I love, and I love this church. I'm not afraid of any of you. And I'm definitely not so afraid that I won't tell the truth. We prioritize earthly things instead of eternal things. If we're going to really persevere to the end, then there are going to be moments where we need to put eternity first. If you do not, that's your choice. But you will not be able to say, I didn't say it. And please do not complain about not growing. because it's not going to be our fault. It's not my job to make you grow. It's my job to teach that growth is our responsibility and to try to help do it. Next week, we're going to talk about what is good versus godly. What does that really mean? This week, The commandments play at 425, so I don't have no problem hanging out with Drew and them at 1U because I ain't got to miss the game. And we won last week. I was dead. My ears hurt. And it honored the Lord. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, today, there are people in this, in this room that are not members of this church and may not ever become members of this church. But if they're believers in you, then they heard the same thing that the members of our church did. They got to put eternity first. It doesn't matter if they put eternity first here or wherever they go. I just pray that they would put eternity first. I pray that they would evaluate. And over the next few weeks, as we drill into Satan's schemes, it's not just this broad supernatural storyline. It gets very specific to us. As we drill down over the next couple of sermons and, and weeks to come, if you're willing to allow me to do that and Mike to do that and so forth, then we'll be able to understand a little bit more about 
this dichotomy. Lord, if they're not members of our church and they never return again, thank you for bringing them. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work in their heart to put eternity first. I would love to, if I never see them again, to see them in eternity. And like, hey, I was at your church that Sunday. Lord, use these two words that you gave me because you're already shaking me up. Lord, for members of our church, this type of talk isn't new, but I think the, it is easy to be so familiar with it that we think it doesn't apply to us. Lord, I pray that if anyone is already thinking of way, reasons why they do what they do rather than letting it sit to evaluate, I pray that you would cut that. May none of us immediately go to excuses, justifications for why or ways that I could have said something better. Lord, let it, I just pray it would just sit. Let us evaluate. There's no shame in it. Lord, we all fall short. This isn't about shaming anyone. Shoot, I fall short, and I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor. Lord, this isn't about, this is about just being honest, like, hey, where can I step up? What does it look like? And we'll, we'll cover that. But, Lord, this is also about us not making excuses for other people in the church. We let people just get away with a lot of stuff because we don't want to be intrusive or they're busy or this and that. And in all honesty, they're just not. I don't think they're putting eternity first. With all of us as members of the church having that conviction, may we not be afraid to remind each other, to ask each other how we're doing that. And as we drill into what good and godly is next week in persecution, let that be another layer for us to understand this reality. Lord, you know, humanly speaking, how much I love this church, and only you love it more than me. But Lord, I pray that, that that's not enough, and that's not the measurement. Lord, I pray where I am not putting eternity first, as you've already begun to show me, continue to do so. But may people not live vicariously through me or others. The goal is not to be excited about other people putting eternity first. The goal is that we individually ourselves do it. And may we do it for your glory and for our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We do have a few questions that have come through. Uh, we'll go ahead and read them uh, one at a time. Uh, what does forgiveness look like if there's someone in your extended family um, that has sinned against you or other members of, of uh, or other members of your church family that sinned against you repeatedly? Yeah, I think it's simply, it's the same thing that God does to you. He doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. Do you know, I think I said this, I don't know, I said this story a lot, so I may have even said this last week. One of the most profound stories to me is in Luke 9 when Jesus sends the disciples to go through Samaria to see if they can cut through to go to Jerusalem. Because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and Samaria is right there, and Jerusalem is all the way on the other side. But if he can cut through Samaria, it might cut off a couple of days of a journey. The Samaritans say, no. You going to Jerusalem? Nope. You can't come through here because Samaritans don't like Jews and vice versa. 
So the disciples come back and they say, Lord, they said you can't cut through. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And Jesus rebuked them. In Luke chapter 10, a religious teacher walks up and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. How do you read them? And he said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, Jesus said, do those and you'll live. And he said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells them this story of a man who was merciful to a, to a Jew who was badly beaten in the street. And he says that that man was a Samaritan. Now, to the crowd that was listening to Jesus say that, they would have been shocked. Because they would have been like, a Samaritan? Now, they didn't know what we know from Luke 9, which just happened. That the people that rejected Jesus, he now is making the hero of his story. That's how you love your neighbor. So when we've been hurt by people, first things first, we just, we fight treating them as their sins deserve. We fight sinning back against them because they sinned against us. But first, to fight that, we have to fight the justification in our minds and hearts to do it. We have to remind ourselves that we have sinned against God way more than they've sinned against us, and we've been forgiven. Now, it doesn't mean you got to pretend and be in great relationship and be like, hey, uncle such and such, give me a big one. <laughs> it might be a challenge. And if you're here, you can talk to me. I don't want to get into all the interest of that, but, uh, but fundamentally, we don't treat people as their sins deserve. And it's not easy. It's hard. Jesus was getting crucified. He was like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'd have been trying to knee dudes, do whatever. <laughs> Jesus was like, forgive them. That's hard. But it's godly. It's godly. So the person actually asked a two-part question. I want to see um, how you would answer that one. So, But could you elaborate on the uh, forgiveness and consequences for sin? of the person sinned against, are there, is there a, a context for consequences? 100%. 100%. Yeah, for, so I'll tell this story. This person's not even around here. I'll tell this story. Years ago, when our children were babies, we had someone, people would watch our kids, we'd go out or something like that. One day we came home and one of our sons had a mark on his head, and his head looked a little bit bigger than it did before we left. This individual was so apologetic, almost crying, like, I'm so sorry, and they explained that they, they put him on the countertop and really quickly ran to our pantry to get something, and our son fell off and hit his head. I was angry because this is my son. I don't know. We were both angry. I don't know to what degree it's going to happen. Hug them and all that. But we love this person. I wasn't offended at them, but I was like, why would you put him on the countertop? He's a baby. Like, he doesn't even have the balance for that. This is what I'm thinking. I didn't say this to the person. I just said, hey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. We forgive you. Don't worry. I, I understand things happen. This next time, please be careful. Well, there wasn't a next time for a long time. 
I forgave you, but you, I do not trust you right now to watch my kids again. So it wasn't that it, so there are consequences. The consequences were you can't watch my kids till they're old enough to know how to jump off the countertop. <laughs> that just is what it is. Because I don't know how I would have been if there was another lump on their head. So I think forgiveness is not without consequences. Even with God, maybe the, the, the ultimate consequence of hell is not, but there's still consequences. God disciplines us for things that we do. Hebrews 12, he disciplines those he loves as sons. So there are things that happen to us that are consequences of our actions, and then, but that's not the absence of God's love. He's still not treating us according to our sins. There may, be, there may be situations where it's like I cannot be in relationship with this person. I just can't. I do not think the Bible commands that you have to be. I think, hey, this is a difficult situation. This person is sinning against you consistently, whatever it is. There's, there's a place for that. I just can't be in. But when I see them, if I have a, hey, how you doing? You know, small talk, whatever. I'm not going to sin against you. I'm not going to tell everybody else what you did to me repeatedly. I'm not going to play it over in my mind again, over and over again, so then you just grow. You, you cultivate bitterness. And it becomes a root that defiles many. I think there are always going to be some consequences, but I think our default is I'm not going to treat you as your sins deserve. This individual did not babysit our kids for years. And it was like, all right, but we still loved them. When I saw them, I wasn't like, there they go. <laughs> Drop my son. He still has a headache from that. I'm not doing that. Because that doesn't honor the Lord. And besides, in all honesty, I've been forgiven by the Lord for way more serious things than letting some kid drop on the floor. And if we're being honest, so have you. There's another question, in the, in, and it is, how do you measure your growth as a Christian? That's a great question. I think we're going to talk about this in this series, but I think the short answer is, why do you do what you do? I think the, 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 what God is after is I'm doing things because it honors the Lord. A lot of times we do things to get a response from other people. Even in like marriages, husbands will do this for the wives, the wife will do that, and you want that reciprocated. You want it reciprocate. You want it done back. Who says I love you and doesn't want to hear? Well, I don't. <laughs> right? You, you do things because you want that reciprocated, right? You want it back. That's a lot of why we do what we do. We want something. We want acknowledgement. We want this promotion. We want this. I think we, we, when we get to the point where I'm doing this because it honors the Lord, so I'm not, I'm not doing this because I need you to acknowledge it or I need you to reciprocate it. I'm doing it because I think it honors the Lord. Mm -hmm. I think that's how you measure your growth. That's one way. I think you measure your growth by why am I doing what I'm doing. Now, if there's a particular area, that's different. It could be like your, you know, growth is your, your willingness to resist doing it. But I think we all, I think what makes us different than every, listen, I said this last week, all religions are moral. Mm -hmm. There are people who evangelize more than us because it's just in their moral code. There are religions that pray that you have to pray a certain amount of times a day because 
there's no religion that's really immoral in terms of good works. That's not what makes us different is that we're motivated to imitate a person. I'm not doing this because I'm trying to get you all to be like, oh, our pastor. Sometimes I do things knowing it might not get that, but it's, it honors the Lord. I'm not motivated, and I'm learning to not be motivated by other people's responses, by what I do. If it pleases the Lord, I'm with it. Biblically speaking, I think it's, for me, it's 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul just said, look, I'm not, I'm just going to let the Lord do what he does. I'm not judging myself. I'm not judging anybody. I'm not saying I'm innocent, but I'm going to just, I'm going to do what I do to honor the Lord and let him weigh in. I think we all have to get to the point where, hey, I'm doing this because it honors the Lord. Because, and this is how you know it's not that. When a person doesn't acknowledge what you did and you're offended. That's how you know you didn't do it to serve them. You did it to be served by them. You know how many times I did stuff so that my wife would acknowledge it and she didn't and I got offended? It wasn't because there was something wrong with her, but the Lord was exposing. This is why you really did that. If it's just like, oh, thank you so much. It's like, oh, is that it? Can I? If I do something in the church and nobody acknowledges it. Dad, I'm I got to wait for a couple years and be like, thank you, Pastor Kirk. Like, what? It's like, nah, you do it because it honors the Lord. Because he sees it. And he's the only one that's going to give that reward. So a lot of our growth is, if it's something, if it's interpersonal, it's usually, why am I doing this? Why am I, primarily. And I think if it's a particular sin issue, it's, am I resisting it? And then, am I resisting it because I want to honor the Lord? Because I've, I've, I've said this before, I've I've distracted myself in many ways, but it wasn't, it wasn't obedient. It was a distraction. You get angry, and you end up watching a comedy show or something. Instead of dealing with the anger, I'll just watch a comedy show. It makes me laugh. I forget that I'm angry until the next day. It comes right back, because I didn't really deal with it. I distracted myself, and I don't feel angry anymore, so I think I'm good. That stuff happens all the time. Though. I do it all the time. So. This will flush out in the series, though, so. Um, uh, this person asks, um, how do we know when the answer to our prayer is no or not yet? And certain categories they have are like, you know, prayer for family member salvation, prayer for marriage, prayer for children. How do we know? No from God, not yet from God. Yeah, I, I think those are hard to know because it depends on, I mean, some prayers have like a time frame, right? So you know, like, man, I need to get a job by this, or I need this by that. And the date passes, it didn't work out. You're in a relationship and you're hoping that it, and it doesn't work out. Then, okay, the Lord's clear with that, right? But things that are not clear, like you don't feel like, I don't know, like I'm praying for someone's salvation. I think Luke 18 just says, look, the, the prayer of the persistent widow, you just keep praying. I mean, in all seriousness, like, and this isn't a judgment of the person asking the question because I've, I've done this before in my own life. But in all seriousness, like how hard is it to pray for something, though? Yeah. It takes a couple of seconds a day. Like, sometimes, like, like, praying for something is not this really, like, grandiose, like, thing that requires so much of us. Like, you just keep praying. I, I mean, unless you think prayer is, like, I got to be in sackcloth and ashes. I got to go in the closet, get down on my, then I can see why you're like, well, man, I ain't praying. I mean, how often do I pray? <laughs> there are times you just pray, Lord, I just pray that you would bring this person to salvation. The Lord doesn't need all these words. He just needs your requests. It's like he, I mean, the Lord, no, remember when he, when he taught in Matthew 6, right, when he taught the, the, the disciples to pray, 
He said, look, don't pray a bunch of words like those, like the, like the Gentiles do. They think by their many words that they're heard. He said, when you pray, keep it simple. Here's the structure. Boom, 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 boom. The Lord isn't sitting like, you don't got to pray like an hour of prayer time. And I mean, if you do that, great, fantastic. If you're a prayer warrior, keep it up. But that's not the goal. Just ask. So even if you don't know and you just keep praying, like, Lord, please bring this person to salvation. Don't think like the Lord needs you to be crying and willing to sacrifice and, Lord, I'll cut off my arm if they would be saved. You don't need to be like that. Just be like, Lord, can you bring them to salvation? That took you four seconds. You can pray that for the rest of your life. And then if they, and then if they die, and they don't, then obviously you know if they, you'll know if they converted or not. So I just think some of the prayers are timely, so you know if it happens. But the ones that, are, that you're not sure about, I think the, better, the best way I think about it is what Jesus did in the garden. Ask your request, but then say, but not my will, but your will be done. Train yourself when you ask for things from the Lord to say, not my will, but your will be done. I'm training myself to do that. I've trained myself to say, Lord willing. It's a rare occasion that I talk about seeing you even tomorrow without saying, Lord willing, because James said that. Many of us don't even think it's a suggestion, but James was like, look, don't be saying oh, tomorrow I'll go here and this year and next year that. He said, you say if the Lord wills it, I'll go here and go there. That's not a suggestion, but many of us treat it like a suggestion. We'll be like, hey, I can't wait next year. Man, you might be dead tomorrow. So we say if the Lord, Lord willing. I can't not say that now because I've trained myself to think Lord willing. It's automatic. So train yourself to think not my will, but your will be done. I'm training myself when I ask for things. Jesus asked, Jesus never had his prayer not answered from the Father except one time. And he said in that prayer, not my will, but your will be done. Because that's what it should be about, right? Your prayers are not about God saying yes or no. They're about, is this his will for your life? And so when you tell yourself, not my will, but your will be done, then you can be okay with it not being done. So you don't have to have a yes or a no sometimes. It's just we forget to be like, hey, it might not be his will, so I'm just going to keep moving in the way that I'm moving until things change. I had no idea. I, I, when, I was, when I graduated from theological training, I was offered like five different positions. Some of them were mega churches, and it was attractive to be like, wow, they want us to come there. This was the smallest in number church that I was offered to go speak. And I was just like, I don't, while it was cool, I had done all the traveling and speaking and be, all that stuff, and I still do that now sometimes. I wasn't impressed by that. I was like, I want to be around people that you can, because I came from a mega church. So I was like, Lord, I don't know what your will is, but I think I'm going to come here. I'm going to come to Solid Rock. And there were two main reasons. When I preached here, which uh, Donna found and put on the website, I was, it was like, I was like, wow, I can touch the people. Like, it was like, wow, I can see the people. I wanted that intimacy. That was the first main reason. And the second, I got season tickets to the Redskins, and if I move, I got to give them up, and I'm just not giving them up. I don't think that honors the Lord either. So, so this is it. And then I came, and, and after one year, they said, look, we're only guaranteeing you one year. And I knew. I said, all right. Well, I said, look, I can go back to real estate. I got options. We'll do the one year here and then see what's up. I did not expect to stay here longer than a year. And then at the end of that year, they were like, wow, the budget was balanced. And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, the giving increased to cover your salary. 
And then I was like, that was the first time I was like, all right, Lord, you wanted me to come here. That was my, that was my confirmation. Because I was thought, all right, we'll do a year here and then we'll go somewhere else. Like, I'm fine. That was 15, 14 years ago. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> so I think just sometimes it's just, it's just like have a, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. That'll help you a lot instead of trying to figure out yes or no. Just be like, all right, well, because it could be the Lord's will for you not to know yet. And that's a part of it. Sometimes he just doesn't make it clear. I think the Lord is not as clear as people make it out to be. I think, I don't know who these people are to be acting like they get these clear senses from the Lord. <laughs> I don't, I, and then sometimes the decisions you make are not clear, not good. I, I think sometimes the Lord cares more about faith. To me, if he always tells you what to do, that's sight. It's faith. It's like, all right, Lord, I'm going to make this decision. When we came, I was like, Lord, I'm just going to go here, uh, you know. If it's not your, I, I hope this is your will. I don't know. And then he was like, I didn't find out till a year later. Yeah, you were supposed to be here. Now I'm still here. Sometimes the Lord is just funny like that. You ever had a kid who's like, please, I really want this. And they're crying and they act like if they don't get it right now, the world is over. And you're like, man, go ahead, man. You'll be all right. <laughs> you ever babysat or got kids? You've been there. I think we're those kids to the Lord. Please, Lord, I just need, could you just? And he's like, you'll be all right. I think he does that, so. All right, uh, this question is, uh, this for the sake of time, we'll answer the question about college during lunch. Uh, so if you submitted that question, we'll do that during lunch. Hope you're staying. Um, and uh, we're going to combine two questions because they're uh, similar but could be like a little different, but, but we'll combine them. Um, and then there's one we've left off, so sorry, person. Um, so this uh, two-parter is, is it possible to be too focused on eternity? Then the other person asks, I am faced with many Christians who prioritize eternal, the eternal over the earthly, which convicts them to ignore urgent matters in our country and that are happening on our planet. How do we put eternity first and care for the world around us? Uh, I'm trying to figure out if I could give one answer for both questions, mm -hmm. and maybe not. So the first question, is it possible to over-prioritize eternity is what I'm saying. Sure. And this is, where the, this is why I was, because the second question kind of says it. You can, if you're not, faithful here like if you're just it, that's a hard question to answer because I don't know what you mean by that right like if you're saying if the second question is speaking to the first where you're ignoring things that are important here then yeah I think you can over you can focus on eternity and it not be a good thing now you'll hear more about this in the sermons to come but we're always that's a more good versus godly issue to me which we'll talk about more next week sure you can do that uh, but I don't know what the things are that are important that you're saying that they don't prioritize because in America, at least, a lot of what we think is important aren't things that the Bible clearly states are important. They're important to us because we have a political bent. So I don't want to say what's important is what this political side says or this side says or that because it might not be important. There are things that I don't think are that important that people are fired up about. And we'll, we'll leave churches and accuse you of doing stuff because you just don't make it a, a, a dominant thing. There's no Bible passage. I ask people all the time, what Bible passage do you get your political perspective from? What Bible passage are you speaking from? 
and most people don't really have one. They'll go to like, well, the Noahic Covenant says, oh, okay. I mean, it is the Bible, so technically, but it's just like, so it, so it depends on what's important. But I think if it's clearly in the Bible first, not an application, but clearly in the Bible, because applications of Scripture aren't necessarily, unless it's like do not lie, then not lying is clear, right? But if it says do not be conformed to the image of this world, and you say, well, I don't watch Disney anymore because they're, okay, that's not what the Bible is saying, though. I mean, if you choose to do that, that's fine. I'm not saying it's wrong, but that's a Romans 14 issue where you think this is important, this person thinks that's important, and the, and the scripture says, who are you, O oh man, to judge God, to judge God's servant? So, I, so it's a, the second one is harder to answer because I don't know what the important issues are here to that person because what may be important to you may be important to you because it's important to you. It may not necessarily be important to God. I mean, don't, keep in mind, I'm not saying this about this person. I don't even know who it is, so you can't judge me for it. I'm answering anonymously. The Pharisees thought they were important to God and were doing things that were important for God. And God was like, I don't know you. Your father is the devil. Believe me, you don't want to hear that in the strict judgment. Your father was the devil. Because my bad will not work in that moment. Anything else? All right. There is no person, no person, that was judged with stricter judgment than Jesus. There is no person. Jesus never put what was earthly over eternity. He did what he did on earth in light of eternity. And that's what, if we're going to imitate Jesus, we have to do that. And some of that, and there's persecution for doing that, which we'll look at in the coming weeks. But this is a reminder of the persecution that Jesus experienced, primarily for putting what was earthly over what was eternity for putting what was godly over what was good. And we remember this each week. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we're glad that you came today, and you're allowed to participate in every aspect of this church on a Sunday morning except this part. And the only reason why is because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What that means is you remember what he's done for you and what that means is you believe in what he's done for you, which is why you remember it. If you're not a Christian yet, then he didn't do this for you yet. And I don't mean he didn't do it theologically. You don't believe in it yet. And that's okay. We all, many of us were in that place at one point. This is the only part of this service you can't participate in. But I and any, many others would love to talk to you about why it's important to do this. If you are a believer, then this is important. This is reminding you that godliness comes with persecution and that living for eternity on earth has consequences, but they're wonderful consequences. Because look how they treated Jesus, but look who Jesus was. They may treat you a certain way, but look at who you are if you believe. In that, we eat this together. And we drink this together as it reminds us of the blood that was shed on our behalf. Let's drink. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that, that we're imitating your son who lived on earth but for eternity. Who didn't even allow himself to be called good. But was godly. 
who was persecuted but persevered. All those qualities are for us. Father, help us today to process. We're not looking for new information. We're looking for true application. Help us to remember to put eternity first. And it's going to come with a cost. There may be, there's just things I'm not going to do or not going to watch anymore, things I'm going to change because I just want to put eternity first. I may go to a meeting that I don't feel like going to or meet with someone I don't feel like meeting with. I'm putting eternity first. Lord, your word is filled with examples of why we should do it. Please, please, Lord, do not let this be a suggestion for us. But a commandment for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This Wednesday is one another.